How are you? I like what you've done with the place. Do you listen to all these podcasts? Or do you send away for like a podcaster beginner's kit that comes with all of them included? You like podcasts? Yeah. Do you listen to any of these podcasts? I don't know. How about any of these podcasts? Probably not. What about the ones on the top playlist? Yeah, I heard those. Good for you. What do you think about them? Hey, I'm not here for a fucking podcast report. They're your podcasts. Why didn't you listen to them? I did. I had to. Must have taken you a long time. Yeah, it did. They were watchables, A24 podcasts, filmcasts. Jesus. If you want to listen to a real podcast, listen to the next picture show. That podcast will fucking knock you on your ass. Better than Phil Spotten? Do you think that's a good podcast? You fucking people baffle me. You spend all your time listening to this fancy podcast. You surround yourselves with them. They're the wrong fucking podcasts. What are the right fucking podcasts? Hey, whatever blows your hair back. Yeah, haven't got much hair left. You record this one? The movie loot? That one's yours? You got five seconds yeah. to tell me where you buried the loot. This is a real piece of shit. Oh, tell me what you really think. Just a faux attempt at being a critic, makes a very muddled commentary. It's also a ripoff of other better podcasts, as if you're alone in yours. You ever heard the saying, one is the loneliest number there is? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that means you. In what way? Maybe you're feeling lonely while recording, and you're in the middle of deciding what to do with the podcast. Downloads aren't coming up, and you're desperately grasping for something, anything. So maybe you do what you gotta do. You know, maybe you invite guests. Bingo. That's it. Let me do my job now. You start with me. Come on. Maybe you started the wrong podcast. Maybe you should wash your mouth. Watch your right there, Chef, all right? Ah. Uh, that's it, isn't it? You started the wrong podcast. What happened? Do you regret it after recording the first episode? And now you don't know what to do? If you ever disrespect my podcast again, I will end you. I will fucking end you. Got that, Chef? Time stop. Hello looters, welcome to special episode 15 of the Movie Loot, the special episodes that come out every other month where the loot is a specific scene I love from a film I love. I take that scene, break it apart, analyze it, see why it works. If this is the first of these special episodes that you listen to, make sure you check out our previous ones where we've covered everything from classics like The Godfather Part 2, Psycho, and Alien to favorites of mine like Silence of the Lambs, Shawshank Redemption, or Seven, as well as more niche shows like Transformers the Movie. This episode was supposed to come out in December, but although we're already in January, I wanted to tackle a scene from a film that was released in December 1997, and that is Good Will Hunting. This is a film that I saw a while ago. I don't remember specifically when, but I really, really like the film as a whole. However, there's a scene in particular that always gets to me, and I still hold as one of my favorite scenes ever, and that's the conversation between Will and psychologist Sean McGuire at the park. Now be warned, like all my special episodes, this will be an in-depth discussion, so the film will be spoiled. If you haven't seen Good Will Hunting, then check it out, then you can come back and listen to the episode. As of now, Good Will Hunting is streaming free on Showtime, but it's also available for rent on most streaming platforms. 
So let's begin. On the campus of one of America's leading universities. There is a problem on the main hallway chalkboard. Took my colleagues and I more than two years to prove it. And I'm hoping that one of you might prove it by the end of the semester. The most gifted mind to ever enter its classrooms. This is correct. Who did this? Is the person who cleans its floors. I just need the name of this guy who works in my building. Got this job through his PO, you can call him. PO? Parole officer. Meet Will Hunting. I've been looking over this rap sheet of yours. Assault, theft, resisting. I've spoken to the judge, and he's agreed to release you under my supervision. Really? You have to meet with a therapist every week. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> For the first time in his life, He's about to meet his match. How many shrinks you go to before me? Five. Well, this boy's genius is unparalleled. I need someone who can get through to him. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. I went on a date last week. Going out again? I don't know. This girl's like, you know, beautiful. She's smart. She's fun. <laughs> she's like perfect right now. I don't want to ruin that. Maybe you're perfect right now. Maybe you don't want to ruin that. Have you talked to him at all about his future? Give him time to figure out what he wants. This boy has that gift. Can you imagine if Einstein would have given that up just to get drunk with his buddies every night? Some people can never believe in themselves. I can't learn anything from you unless you want to talk about you. Until someone believes in them. You can do anything you want. You are bound by nothing. And you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. I'd do anything to have what you got. And some never know how much they can have. I love you. Until they discover how much they can give. Academy Award winner Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Stellan Skarsgård, and Minnie Driver. Goodwill Hunting, nominated for nine Academy Awards. So, to set things up, Goodwill Hunting is a psychological drama released in 1997. It was written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and directed by Gus Van Sant. The film ended up being quite a success for everyone. Although Van Sant had already made a name for himself, this one really elevated his status in mainstream Hollywood. Affleck and Damon won an Oscar for their screenplay, and Robin Williams also earned an Oscar for his performance as Maguire. The film follows the titular Will Hunting, played by Damon, a Boston native that works as a janitor in MIT while hiding the fact that he's a natural genius. The thing is that Will is prone to violent outbursts, has been in jail, and prefers to drink with his buddies. So when a professor discovers Will solving a difficult equation in one of the hallway blackboards, he recruits his college friend, Sean, played by Williams, to try to help Will. The two have a tense first meeting that soon turns violent when Will insults Maguire's deceased wife. This leads to their second meeting, which takes place in a park bench where Maguire lays it all in front of Will in what is one of the best monologues I've seen on any film. And that's the scene I want to talk about today. So to analyze that scene, I'm going to talk about four things. Number one, the setup. The main setup basically takes place in the previous scene where we see the first meeting between Will and Sean. And this is another excellent scene that I could do another episode on because the performances from both are excellent. The way that you see these two characters sizing each other up is marvelous, especially Will, who you can see is looking for ways to activate his defense mechanisms. They talk about books, American literature, how much they bench, painting. He's basically fishing through this whole scene. And by that, I mean looking for what buttons to push to tick Sean off and get out of there. Jesus. 
You want to read a real history book, read Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. That book will fucking knock you on your ass. Better than Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent? You think that's a good book? Fucking people baffle me. Spend all your money on these fucking fancy books. You surround yourselves with them. They're the wrong fucking books. One of the right fucking books, Will. <laughs> hey, whatever blows your hair back. Yeah. I haven't got much hair left. Hey, you know you'd be better off shoving that cigarette up your ass. It'd probably be healthier for you. Yeah, I know. It really gets in the way of my yoga. <laughs> you work out, huh? What, you lift? Yeah. Yeah, Nautilus? No, free weights. Oh, really? Yeah, free weights, huh? Yeah, big time. Yeah? Just like that. What do you bench? 285. What do you bench? You paint that? Yeah. You paint? Mm-mm. Do you sculpt? No. You like art? You like music? It's a real piece of shit. Oh, well, tell me what you really think. And he does succeed when he brings up Sean's wife, which prompts Sean to grab Will by the throat and threaten to end him if he ever disrespected his wife again. You ever heard the saying, any port in a storm? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that means you. In what way? Well, maybe you're in the middle of a storm, a big fucking storm. Yeah. The maybe. sky's falling on your head, the waves are crashing over your little boat, the oars are about to snap. You're just pissing your pants, you're crying for the harbor, so maybe you do what you gotta do to get out. You know, maybe you became a psychologist. Bingo. That's it. Let me do my job. No, you start with me. Come on. Maybe you married the wrong woman. Maybe you should watch your mouth. Watch it right there, Chief, all right? Uh. That's it, isn't it? You married the wrong woman? What happened? Would she leave you? Was she, you know, banging some other guy? Disrespect my wife again, I will end you. I will fucking end you. Got the chief. Time's up. Yeah. It's truly an excellent scene and a showcase of two great actors and a great script. So that more or less sets the table. There is tension between both. We see that Will can hold his own to a certain extent against someone as smart as Sean. We see his M.O. of lifting up these barriers to let people out, which leads to their second meeting, which takes place in the park. And this leads me to my second point, which is the script. This second meeting starts in pretty much the same way, with Will looking for ways to tick Sean off, but this time Sean came ready. And he starts a monologue where he lays it all in front of Will in the best way possible. An excellent way to expose Will's facade of pretensions by basically telling him you know a lot, but you don't know a lot. You haven't really lived. And I love how the monologue goes from art to women to war. And there's a perfect setup here that comes from the previous scene where Will looks at a picture of Sean in Vietnam. So we know he knows what he's talking about. You've never been out of Boston. Nope. If I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. seen that 
If I ask you about women, probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. When I ask you about war, you probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. You've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watch him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. And then he moves into love, and here's when the script chooses to reveal what actually happened to Sean's wife. Turns out that she had died of cancer after a month's long battle, and you can feel when that reveal drops. And there's something great here, which leads me to my third point, the direction. Because the direction here is fairly simple, but I would say understated. For pretty much all the monologue, Van Sant chooses to keep the camera more or less still on Sean, one continuous shot, which is another testament to William's performance, but more from him later. Anyway, the camera stays on Sean, and we can't even see Will, but as soon as Sean brings up love, and just as he's about to drop that reveal about his wife, Van Sant slowly pans the camera to the side, so we can see half of Will's face, at least his eyes on the foreground, which leads me into my fourth point, the performances. You know, all praise to Williams, who is an excellent actor and one whose death still shakes me. He does a really great job delivering this monologue with all the right inflections and intonations at the right moments. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel. To have that love for her be there forever. Through anything. Through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss, because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. There is an honesty in this character that you just believe. It's a masterwork in acting. But for all the praise that Williams gets, I feel like there's not enough praise given to Damon, who does so much without saying anything. And yet, the way he moves his eyes, the way we see subtle reactions from him to what Sean is telling him, is perfect. Just as much as the monologue tells us about Sean, Will's little reactions tell us what we need to know about him. And we can truly see how Sean has disarmed him entirely. But one thing that resonated with me this time more than before is this moment. I look at you. I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared, shitless kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my fucking life apart. You're an orphan, right?
you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are, because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that, because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. You move, Chief. Without saying too much, I will say that this part of the dialogue really hit me in a different way this time. And this is an invitation to not try to encapsulate people within little boxes. You know, there's the orphan, or there's the computer guy, or there's John Doe's wife. But rather to understand that we, as humans, are full of layers and different facets in our lives. Thousands of interests, worries, challenges, goals, points of view within our body and mind. And you understand that that has probably been Will's life. He's the orphan, he's the violent one, he's the ex-convict, and now they want to turn him into the genius, without even really looking at his other facets, but not Sean. And I love that. It's a truly excellent message from an excellent film delivered by two excellent actors. So, those are my brief thoughts on that great scene from Goodwill Hunting. A scene that, like I said, I think is one of the best monologues on any film. As usual, I ask on Twitter for anybody to share their thoughts on any scene from the film, and this is what I got. My friend Sylvie at Sly underscore Wit said, I love the whole scene leading up to your gift moment, but what has really stuck with me over the years is Minnie Driver saying how she would give back everything she had for just one more day with her dad. The first part of Sylvie's comment refers to a gif I put up in the tweet that comes right after Will meets Mini Driver's character. He approaches a pretentious douchebag he had confronted earlier that was trying to impress Driver and shows him he got her number, retorting, How do you like them apples? It's one of those douchebag gets his come up and seen, but it's immensely satisfying. My friend Tom at Def Heaven said, One of my favorite movies of all time, and I love all the reaction videos I see on YouTube on it. So, thanks to Sylvie and Tom for sharing their thoughts. If you like this breakdown and have any thoughts to share, look me up on Twitter at my personal account at TiffCGT or the podcast account at TMML2021. We appreciate any help you can give us in spreading the word and sharing the loot, whether it is telling others about the loot, retweeting our episodes, rating and or reviewing the show on whatever platform you listen to. Also, stay tuned for our next episode, The December Loot, where I share my thoughts on the films I saw during the last month of 2022. Also, stay tuned for more news on what's to come on the Movie Loot for 2023. There are a lot of great plans, most notably a change of format. There might be some live episodes coming up, as well as the opportunity to support and maybe even be on the show via an upcoming Patreon. So keep an eye on our next episode and our social media for more news on that. I also want to share that our previous episode, The Millennium Loot with Chris Boyer, has been doing great. In just two days, it has jumped to the top tiers of our most downloaded episodes. Now, how do you like them apples? Take it through the day with some help from Johnny Walker Red. Send the poison brain down the drain to put bad thoughts in my head.
me. 